0: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 78 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and this is actually a live show. Uh, We are here with Mark Hinkle. Mark, say hey. Hey, (laughs) Aaron. And... We're actually uh, sitting around Mark's kitchen table. So this is actually a live one. All three of us are in our massive cloudcast studios here yeah, in Raleigh. Yeah, huge. And uh, we're, we're here actually to talk today about uh, open source software and, and how it relates to the PTA. Right, Mark? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole story in itself. So so Mark, why don't you uh, give a quick introduction and, and an overview of what you've been doing? Okay.
1: Uh, I'm Mark Hinkle. I'm the Senior Director of Cloud Computing Communities at Citrix, and we work on the Apache Cloud Stack project, the uh, Zen.org hypervisor, and some other projects that we're working on right now in open source. And we're there to uh, make sure those projects are successful and provide opportunities for Citrix commercial business. Cool. And
0: full disclosure, in case you hadn't already connected the dots, Mark and I work together. At Citrix, but this isn't a, a CloudStack show. This is actually just—we're going to talk about open source software today, and the concepts behind it, and and what really is uh, driving the community out there.
2: So, so I got to ask the first question that I think everybody wants to know. So, you've been doing OpenStack, or I'm sorry, OpenStack, open, open source, <laughs> open source companies for a long time. You've yeah. been involved with it. You've been involved with the communities for a while, and then Aaron comes along. No experience that far. How much hand-holding and dumb questions do you get
1: from Aaron on a regular basis? Um, I think no more than anyone else <laughs> because it's totally <laughs> counterintuitive to sell free software, yeah. which is really what um, uh, my little inside joke about doing commercial ventures around open source. Um, a lot of it is counterintuitive because in a company like Citrix, we sell a billion plus dollars in software every year and the value of the software we give away, I never put a price on it, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's even greater than that. If he looked at it and if he tried to monetize it. So, uh, um, not dumb questions, but definitely questions that you, um, the, the open source approach to development and how that relates to commercial offerings it is not quite intuitive. Yeah. It's not what they teach in business school. It? It, <laughs> really isn't. it really is. It really is.
0: So, so give us an overview of like the Apache foundation and some of the other entities that are out there, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm active in two organizations. Uh, the first one is the Apache F- uh, software foundation and their, uh, name comes from the Apache web server. It was, founded back, I believe, in the late 90s, uh, eight guys who were working on the web server and turning it into a project and turning it into a nonprofit so that they uh, they could collaborate and have a place to host their software, host their trademarks, et cetera. And since then, that organization has grown to over 100 projects that are top-level projects and I believe over 40 that are incubating, which are projects that are um, learning how to do things the Apache way. And the Apache Software Foundation has a proven method of co-developing software in a way that um, manages the uh, intellectual property appropriately and gives people a neutral place to collaborate. Um, It is a nonprofit. It is made up of individuals. So there's the Apache Software Foundation has members, which are individuals, not companies, and they do take sponsorship from companies like Google and Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it is not a pay-to-play organization. Um, it is a meritocracy where your contributions give you um, social currency, woofy, whatever you want to call it, so that you can uh, participate in those communities. And each project is run by a project management committee, and the project management committee is made up of committers who have showed some kind of merit to be promoted from a code committer to a manager of this project. And then everything is done by votes. And then there's a oversight on an overall um, Apache Software Foundation board. That they recite sure. that so it's, that's that's how it works. So things like Hadoop are in there, mm-hmm. things like Tomcat, Cassandra, etc., are developed there, and those projects are mainly contributed to by people who work when the software is either a user or a vendor, and contribute to it, and then they produce software in a regular schedule, and then other companies can take that software, um, and repurpose it for their products or use it to run their infrastructure. The thing that's unique about not unique, but interesting about Apache is everything is licensed under Apache software license, which is a permissive license, which means you can take their software if you are a company and repurpose it and not have to share the changes you make and change it. So that it fits your licensing scheme. So that's that's different from GPL, right? GPL is what's considered a copy left license, Mm -hmm. which is a good segue into the other organization we spend a lot of time working with, which is the Linux Foundation. Mm -hmm. Linux Foundation is the home for um, the Linux kernel code. Linus Torvalds works for the Linux Foundation. They're also a nonprofit, but they are managed by a board that is elected from the sponsors of the project of the foundation so they have different levels of sponsorship and from those membership um, they elect members to the board and that board manages um, makes decisions for the foundation and then it's it's managed by a paid committee of um, employees versus Apache Software Foundation is all volunteer. Uh, So that would be the big difference but in the copy left World. That means that you can take my code and reuse it, but you've got to share the changes. So some people feel like that is not as friendly to commercialization because you can't keep your um, changes private. So um, one company that does do that makes is a fort- or an S&P 500 company would be Red Hat. So they take Linux and they package it and they put their trademarks in it. But all that code is open. The thing that isn't open is they own their trademark. So if you want to redistribute it, you would have to strip out their trademarks and put yours in. So that right. will be the CentOS. CentOS is a – they strive to keep compatibility with Red Hat Enterprise Linux, but they don't use the Red Hat trademarks. So they, but the code is free. Okay. Okay. So those are the two like camps, permissive versus uh, copyleft.
2: Cool. So – so let's say. So I, I wrote a blog, and this was somewhat related, but I, I wrote a blog at the end of the year talking about like <clears throat> as we move into sort of the you know more and more people having really interesting options to use open source. So if you want to do a big data project at your company, or you're going to do cloud, you'd, like there's as many now like viable open source things as there are commercial, and and mm-hmm. people are trying to figure out like which makes sense, right? So you know one of the things, and, and I think Christian Riley had brought this up. We were having a side conversation. He said, you know. We tend to, in what he was doing, we tend to follow Apache projects because from that perspective, the license is always sort of consistent. Do you find as you talk to people, like they, they let the license dictate when they, which type of project they might use? Or do you find people have a mix of them? Or, or like, is there really realistically going to be a need for somebody who can keep track of what makes sense, especially if you may end up turning
1: it into a product, however you do it for your company? Well, I think it's the, there's sort of an open source paradox there because, yeah. first of all, if you look at the majority of people that are heavy users of open source, they tend to be Linux companies, yeah. and Linux is a GPL, copyleft-oriented <laughs> license. But when I talk to a lot of companies that want to use open source in their products, they don't like the, their lawyers don't seem to like the GPL because um, the they uh, note that it could be... Um, viral, that if it touches their pristine in-house developed code, that it could potentially taint their code from a license standpoint. So I think because it's so unclear what constitutes to, a, especially for a lawyer, what constitutes um, the linking of that code to to GPL code, people like Apache because um, they they have a, more permissive license to relicense so that they don't feel like they're tainting their code. Right. Um, I think it comes down to this is when people want to sell a product or service that is or mainly a product that is consistent with the way we've always consumed software, where it is a solution that's packaged together and you install, people like Apache software licensed product software because it just simply has that permissiveness in the licensing terms. Mm -hmm. But I think the people that are successful, the most successful in the open source world like Red Hat, end up selling something that isn't even a feature functionality product as much as a complementary service on top of open source. So in the case of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, they're distributing a Linux distribution, but what they're selling from the Red Hat standpoint is an update service. So that's a nice clean break. They're not, they're redistributing GPL software with their trademarks and the value you get is in the support, the service, indemnification and other things that are included in the REL um, license agreement. Sure. But if you're someone who might be um, and and a good example of this back in the day would have been a Sleepy Cat Software, which was not was acquired by Oracle. They were the BSD database people. People were embedding Sleepy Cat in their products, so Sleepy Cat's business was selling them a support service and licensing terms that worked for them to embed that in there. Right. And in that case, you know, I think that's what they mean by commercial friendly.
0: Sure. And uh, and <clears throat> one of the big things i follow the um the the cloud stack specifically um mailing list and there there's there's always i mean of course all the technical stuff and developer stuff flying around but there's also a lot of ip clearance stuff flying around all the time sure. right and and so that really um goes towards what you were saying earlier about the lawyers and and ip clearance being a very big deal in the apache foundation can yeah. you just talk about that real briefly sure. as well
1: sure so they've put together a really effective way to manage IP that is created within Apache. But what happens is a lot of times people create code outside of their development channels and want to m- merge that back in. And then so that they can be sure that their IP is clean, they have a review process that is um, that's reasonable, is that they have peer review of the code and spend some time trying to make sure that, what comes in doesn't have any licensing burdens on it that would prevent it from being apache licensed so as a rule they want to they want to develop everything in the open at the uh, ASF and in their their projects but when they can't then there's a um you know a process that that has a lot more overhead than if it was developed there in the open under the terms and they have a contributors license agreement that Everyone's required to sign before they can be a contributor, so or which is called a committer. Mm-hmm. And so that that is why if, if you see that kind of IP clearance, it's usually somebody's done something cool and it would be additive to the project, but they want to make sure that they're not introducing anything that would cause a problem for the users of that software later. Sure. So um so you mentioned, and I'm just picking
2: up on a word. So you, you, you mentioned Red Hat as being successful, yep. right now. So we were talking about this on one of the previous shows, open stack projects, um, because they, they span the gamut. I mean, you've got commercial companies mm-hmm. like Red Hat. You've got, uh, companies that, you know, are doing stuff for sort of non-for-profit. Mm-hmm. You've got guys that are right. Like success mm-hmm. is a, Kind of a variable term, right? It's yeah. not like it's not like HP, uh, you know, released results this month. Here's the here's the thing: you can go look at spreadsheets, and it's success is based on number of committers, emails, mm-hmm. lines of code. I mean, like as a whole, when when you're looking at this, like how do people tend to define success sure. across a bunch of those metrics?
1: Well, I mean, at the end of the day. There's, there's sort of the success of the open source project, and then there's the success of companies that make businesses around open source. Yeah. So I would say from a – Red Hat is successful in the fact that Red Hat Linux and Fedora Linux are two of the most successful Linux distributions. Fedora is the free. Red Hat is the, the – um, um, so you're, talking, you're
0: just talking specifically market share. Yeah. Or number of or users or I'm just rate. number of users. Yeah. If
1: you drive rate software, the way I define success is how much of the addressable market can you use as your software? That yeah. would be an open source success metric. So whether you're doing MapReduce with Hadoop or you're doing Linux or you know browsers with Firefox slash Chrome that would be my, my measure of success from just an open source. If people if you write software and nobody uses it, I mean that might be successful for you if you're the developer of the software and you've solved your problem, but for it to be a general industry success, I'd say you have to have some good adoption in the addressable market for that solution. Sure. Commercially is the people I look at the people, not just the vendors, so ISV Why is Red Hat is successful in using open source? I'd say probably the most successful companies out there using open source would be people like Google, who the vast majority of their infrastructure runs on Linux, um, Zen Hypervisor. They They have their whole set of projects like Gennetti, which is in the virtualization space, runs a lot of their things. Chrome, obviously, and Android are things that they, right. they've they worked on. So it's, it's
2: taken, taken that open source raw material and turning it into some other
1: business yeah. value, whatever yeah. they do. They do it for ads. Other companies do it for
2: yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah.
1: yeah. The reason I say I sell open source software is because that's the exact opposite of how I find commercial success, because if you're reselling something that's free... It's a great gig if you can get it, but it's not a sustainable business model. Right? <laughs> You've got to sell something that has value. And the thing that about open source is that there's certain things that we do in open source that adds very little incremental value to the end user. So if you think of the Unix wars, yeah. back in the, the days of Unix of Solaris and AS400 and all these other Unix operating systems, The kernel and the scheduler added very little incremental value to everybody, but everybody was developing their own. So all this effort was going into duplicating efforts of everybody else, and the differentiators were very small, hardware-based. Now with Linux, everybody collaborates on the kernel, so it has device drivers and it has ability to do scheduling and things like that. And they could add, do a value add like Red Hat does for updates and support service and Novell does for porting it to certain platforms, and Google does by porting it to mobile devices, etc. And that core code is developed collaboratively because it adds very little incremental value to all of us, and they can focus on the things that do add incremental value, in Google's case, to the cellular providers, the handset providers, etc. They can then take it and adapt that last 10% to their devices, and then they can add value to you and I as consumers. So that's that's the real thing is taking out sharing the things that aren't competitive advantages and really focusing on the things that add value to your customers.
0: I understand. Well, and just to step on soapbox for a second, the, the metrics of lines of code or number of developers just chaps my ass sometimes because, yeah. you know, you could have a thousand monkeys working on it and call them developers if the code's mm-hmm. not good quality or, you know, yeah. could be twice as much code and it yeah. just sucks or, you know, there's no quality behind yeah, just pure numbers at times. Right. And yeah. so I think your aspect of it certainly takes that into account.
1: Yeah. I think the metrics like comparing lines of code versus one project versus another is sort of silly in a lot of ways. I think it's a relative metric to see the, the velocity of your project. That's a good, that's a good way to use those metrics. Like developers, if you're adding developers, it's, it's probably a good thing, but you can't just focus on the number of developers and lines of code. It's just metrics are there for you to look at to alert you to where you should look at how your business or your project is running and then um, use that as a, as a as a way to sift through a lot of data not as an ultimate measure of your success. Cool. So, so uh, especially in the in the cloud, you know, the
2: cloud space, the big data space, kind of the things wrapped around the data center, for, for example, I mean, we're, we're going through some interesting times, and, and I'll say that from my perspective, because I hadn't spent a ton of time around open source other than just being, a, you know, happy to use products that, that had it in the covers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're starting to see this, this very big thing where, you know, let's take a couple of examples. So, uh, around Hadoop lately, um, EMC's spin-out company, Pivotal, just came out with something. Uh, uh, Mark, Mark, Matt Matt, uh, Matt from 10Gen made a big deal about saying, well, your your new Hadoop distribution isn't really Hadoop. It's got some other stuff plugged in there. Right. And there's a lot of back and forth between, uh, you know, in essence, the Greenplum and EMC guys who traditionally would be, you'd think of as commercial. Mm-hmm. And then you've got 10 which is Mongo, who you'd think right. more... Like, and then, you know, you've got a lot of people in the, let's take OpenStack, for example, space where you've got Mm -hmm. HP and Cisco and all these, you know, commercial-centric kind of companies. (laughs) Like, as you're looking at that, as somebody who's dealt with that a lot, like, what sort of common mistakes do you see from companies that have never really spent time in commercial or everything's always been for sale now wading into that space? Like, you got to see this and go, man, I've seen this story before,
1: right? Yeah. So I think it's sort of dangerous in a lot of ways because people coming from the commercial side, are used to having products that are differentiated. And people, when you add the open connotation, they assume that if you have an open source project based on, we'll take OpenStack, for example, is every distribution of OpenStack compatible with the other ones? Can you move payloads from a... HP cloud to a Rackspace cloud, and I don't. I, I mean, I th- I believe you can, but there are other. There's so many people in that that space that are interacting. You want to make sure that when somebody says it's open, that really they haven't taken open source software, modified it in a way that provides the same lock-in that everybody is tired of from the proprietary right. side of things. Right. You want, you want open like an ethernet port. Like, exactly. It's always the same. Right? <laughs> yeah. least, yeah. As simple the, as that. The plug USB looks port, the same every time. time. Yeah. 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 There is not a lot like there's, and I think Matt AC's point for, um, pivotal is, you know, it is a postgres based data warehouse with a Hadoop based, you know, MapReduce and, on top of it, but can you take that same job and have the same experience on the pivotal data warehouse as you would for the Cloudera right. distribution of Hadoop? I mean, right. that, that that is really the question as a consumer that people are gonna have to ask is, yeah. and it, it's not an easy answer because some of these people are taking this permissively-based software, it's no longer free, so you can't tell if one, Payload works on a open source based product versus another. And that's, that's, um, you know, that's my only criticism of the permissive license software is you all of a sudden lose, potentially could lose the ability to know whether or not there's true compatibility across things with Linux. You always have, you always know that Linux is Linux is Linux. Even though there are other tools and things, package management systems, within those distributions, whether it's Canonicals, or uh, which is Ubuntu, or um, Red Hat, or SUSE. you can sort of tell, but when it comes to some of these products that are permissively licensed, the base technology you you may understand, but the end product may have some differences that may not make them your... You still may be suffering from the same lock-in as somebody who, right? Yeah, the, the, data, the data sheet's got the same words on it from two people, but you don't. Know yeah, if they,
0: right. I mean,
2: I think you hit. I think you hit on it, though. I mean, at the end of the day, forget about the project. It's like it, when you say commodity to a commercial company, to, to them that's the worst possible thing. To the open source community, you go, good. That's a problem I don't have to deal with anymore. Right. right? right. And you talk about differentiation to a to a commercial company, and they're like, that's my life blood. Like I I gotta right. have that yeah. and um, yeah, I think that to me has been the thing that people struggle with the most, and 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 I think you hit on it. It's like, are you trying to solve a problem that really is a problem that a unique fix does something, or you just go, "That's good enough." Let's, yeah. let's move on from it.
1: Yeah.
0: So, so to to get away from talking products and projects for a second, and this goes back to mm-hmm. our our opening joke of it being like a PTA. Tell us a little bit about what it's like from a community standpoint and users and Tell us a little bit about, is there differences between,
2: you know, uh,
0: Apache, you know, what's it, what's it like, like herding the, uh, the technical uh, cats, right? Tell us us a little bit about how that works.
1: Yeah. So I think that uh, the internet is the great enabler of collaboration across time, space, and makes it awesome, is an awesome media for people to. To come together and work on things. It also has the tendency to disassociate people from being real people when they become email addresses. So, you know, and it's it's, it's happened since the early Usenet days and flame wars and trolls. Within that, there's a lot of people that I work with on a regular basis that I've never met in person or I've only seen once, and so you get a lot of really smart people that are passionate about something working on it. And the humanity of things sometimes gets a little obfuscated, but, uh, um, it's a hyper-efficient way to collaborate. And if there's a good set of social norms, I will say that I'm feel pretty fortunate. The projects that I'm involved with, the people are very cordial compared to some alternatives. Um, I think, uh, there's uh, some
0: there's some bad eggs out there, is what you're trying to tell just, me.
1: Not exactly bad eggs, but the the civility of certain communities is different. Like for example, the Linux kernel mailing list. Um, if you break something, Linux Torvalds will just, <laughs> just destroy you destroy you in a public forum, <laughs> and, and you've got to understand that within that community, that is an accept. I don't know if it's acceptable, but it's at least accepted way to right. communicate. Because who's going to tell him no? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it used to be that way.
2: It, it, when I was at Cisco years and years ago, working in TAC, and you would send problems, and the guy who wrote the code would have no problem just publicly destroying you. And it, but it, but it does sort of create these sort of badge of honor. Do your homework before you do dumb things, yeah, and yeah. it's okay. You know, you, you learn after the first time you get hammered. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so I just think it, that social norms vary mm-hmm. by community, mm-hmm. and as long as people understand them, it works and um, I do strongly feel though, that I think you want to create communities of inclusion. So you want to be as civil as possible. You do, you don't want, you also want people to know that, hey, don't waste somebody's time asking stupid questions. So that would be maybe the flaming that yeah. comes in.
2: Now, now, do you find, I mean, there, there's, there's been some examples in theories. Some people say like, the best projects are driven by sort of a benevolent dictator, right? There's, there's, there's always one person you can come back to and they go, I'm putting my foot down. Yeah. Linux was that way and Drupal's that way. And
1: Mm -hmm. like,
2: is that, does that tend to work better or do you find It's really project by project as to how it's
1: successful. I personally like the development, the benevolent dictator, like, um, Guido van Rassum from Python is that way. Dries fire from Drupal's that way. Um, Linux for the kernel, I think it it can help drive an identity of the project, but I don't think it's necessary. The two that I spend the most time with are the Zen.org code and the Patch Cloud Stack code, code, and they do not have a benevolent dictator. I don't know if one will emerge over time, but uh, uh, I think that leadership can be individual or by committee, and I think that in some projects, there's a committee of people that are respected and take take on that leadership role, um, which is sort of more of the Apache model. Like, for the most part, Apache projects, like Hadoop has Doug Cutting was the guy who got behind it originally. But there are lots of people who are leaders in the Hadoop community, and it works. And they have a governance model that has a, you know, a board that is driven by merit, and that works. But, uh, I mean... Some of the greatest ones, like Linus, Linus and Linux, are you know benevolent dictator models. And uh, is there any
0: difference in the foundations in the way the community is run, or is it just kind of like you said? Is it more those abstract models of benevolent dictator versus big open community? Or
1: I think the reason that the benevolent dictators work is the same reason that the, the committees work is. They work on their merit. If if Linus wasn't as talented or passionate as he was, mm-hmm. then he still wouldn't be the benevolent dictator. Um, it's just a matter of if the guy at the top is good, I think that works. If the committee of people who run the project is good, are good, then it works. So that's that would be my... Cool. Yeah. One, I guess one last question,
2: because um, it'll it'll relate to different projects people are, are interested. Like, what happens, you know, so Hadoop had a bunch of uh, background, Doug, and then so you had some guys from Yahoo who mm-hmm. kind of did some stuff. You had some guys that went to Cloudera. Mm-hmm. Now you've got, like, Hortonworks, for example. So wh- what happens in general when the guys who were the founders or the, the kind of the original smart engineering people decide to split off, go do a commercial entity? You know, OpenStack has this with all those the little companies. Like, what tends to happen? What, what What's usually the the results once the, the people, they were friends or they were technical, but now they've got competitive differences? How does that tend to work out in the long yeah. haul?
1: So I will not com- comment on OpenStack because I don't think that yeah, chapter so has fair. been been written yet. But I would say that for a lot of, let's just go to Linux. Linus sure. And, or Linux. Tons of Linux. Just yeah, right. so I think when you've got multiple Entities that can be successful in an industry, then that is definitely good. So, you know, we've, I would say that Red Hat is a success, Canonical's a success, SUSE is, you know, it's hard to say because it was part of Novell, but let's just say, I would say SUSE has a success, it, it, it enables business. And there are multiple entities there making a and Google with yeah. Android and all the like, right. when you have an ecosystem of companies there that are supporting that initial project, it is a success. I think with the Hadoop with, with uh, Hortonworks mm-hmm. and Cloudera there, and I'm sure that it sounds like now pivotal does support them. Was you get more and more people that have a vested interest in the success of the project. It's good. Yeah. I think it will be good for OpenStack in the long run, but If you remember Linux Linux in like 2000, it seemed like every day a new distro came out. There was like Mandrake and there was Technique Connectiva and there was United Linux and, you know, all these things. And I think what might happen in certain cases is there's sort of this gold rush and everybody sees something cool and they all, you know, startups get funded and people try and make businesses out of it. And then it is just you know, commercial Darwinism where the survival of the fittest. And and actually that's good because it creates a people can, the successors can learn from the failures and it brings a lot of attention and resource to a project. So for, for Linux it was very good because now we see people that are, you know, it's, it's transcended the um, desktop, the original, Use well, case kind of transcended of the technology. It's just, it's, every, it's yeah.
2: everywhere and everything. You don't even think about it. I mean, yeah, that's that's probably cool. the ultimate compliment. Is if you don't think about that technology anymore, it's probably doing its
1: job pretty yeah. well. And I think that's gonna that's true for so many other things. So yeah. The more the more people or more organizations that are there, that fragmentation in the long run is good, but yeah. it can be tumultuous during the formative years. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. In, in what
2: Simon Wardley always sort of says the peace stages and the war stages and there's different behaviors and... yeah very cool well, yeah. thanks man this sure. has been uh, I don't know if you got any more this has been nope. good, been good yeah. for us uh, OpenStack newbies I guess yeah exactly us
0: dirty and so. enterprise people need to learn some of this <laughs> stuff right yeah so, and that's what well, when I joined on what was the, the first thing Mark, Mark said he's going to turn me into a dirty software hippie, right? That's right. So, this is part of my education process. <laughs> yeah. You know. All right. So, if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at theCloudcastNet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening.